This is the Idea Time Podcast with Dr. Joe North. Welcome to the Idea Time Podcast. Tune in every week for practical tips, strategies, and interviews that will help you to achieve greater professional and business success by thinking more creatively. And now, here's your host, Dr. Joe North. Hello, and welcome to the Idea Time Podcast. I am super stoked to be here with Christine Francis Asmar, who is a leadership and culture transformation facilitator. And what I absolutely love is that, well, you'll hear how we met in a little while, but we met through social media and it's just brilliant, isn't it? How we can build relationships and connect with great people these days. It's really fantastic. So I'm really excited to have Christine here. She's a facilitator, as I've said. She is a really fantastic leadership and culture change expert. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm sure you will. Welcome, Christine. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for hosting me. It's a great pleasure and I'm honored to be on your podcast today. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm so pleased you're here. To get us started, could you just say a bit about what you do, tell us where you are, and also a little bit about how we first met? Okay, so I am based in Beirut, Lebanon, and I've been living here all my life. And previous uh, COVID uh, was working in the region a lot, not only in Beirut. And it's so interesting how I, you and I met, and it was actually because of your social media and your posts and the generous information and valuable uh, insight that you share on your social media content. And this is how I got in touch with you, actually seeking your support on different things, which we will talk about later in the conversation. So yes, it was social media that brought us together despite social distancing. <laughs> I know it's it's so cool and when we spoke I was just so impressed with your depth of knowledge and insight and what you're doing and how you help people make transformation and how you help them work through change as well so it really is an honor to have you on the show with me today and tell us how you got here to where you are now and you know and what your day-to-day looks like right now. Okay, so my journey with coaching started back in 2007. It was a career change that led me to becoming a coach. And honestly, during that time, coaching was not that well-known or valued in Lebanon. And I remember a friend of mine who I consider a mentor as well, who lived in Dubai, who went through a personal coaching experience because she was confused about leaving her job or not. And then the company appointed her a coach. And then she loved it so much. And she felt the real impact on a personal level. And she went to certify as a life coach. And then I had this conversation with her, which brought me to the fact that this is what I want to do. It resembles a lot of my attributes. And to me, somehow, in my life, it came natural. However, I decided to because I love working with organization and I've been in the corporate world all my life. I decided to go and specialize in management coaching and mentoring, funny enough, with the ILM Institute, which is a UK-based institute. And I got my first diploma, level five in coaching and mentoring, management coaching and mentoring. And my journey didn't stop here. 
I have the archetype of a student and people know me as the bookworm. So eventually, after going through my first journey with coaching, which actually came at the right time, because I remember at that time I went through a very big personal crisis and I realized that if I did not have the tools, the skills and my mentors and coaches around me, I wouldn't have been able to survive it and to kind of transition to the new reality that I had to face at that time. And this is when I truly fell in love with the change curve. And recently I've been introduced to the transition model, which was gonna be talking about later, but I have felt the power of this tool at first hand. And it taught me how to navigate change in different situations in my life. Went on developing more, joined the coaching academy again in the UK as a protege student, did a couple of courses with them, and then moved on to certify as a leadership and transformation culture consultant with the Barrett Values Center, which is also based in the UK. And then meanwhile, I got Another certification from Mowgli Mentoring to be a facilitator with them, which is also another UK-based now a social enterprise. And my journey with learning continues. My latest add-up actually was supporting women in business and women on boards for their advancement internally within the organization and breaking glass ceilings. Fantastic. What a journey. And we definitely share the love of learning, don't we, you and I? I think that's why we've connected so brilliantly and, and gelled so quickly. And I think also, you know, those qualifications are important because... There are so many people out there calling themselves coaches, but actually, you know, don't have the, the training and the pedigree that, that somebody like yourself has. What difference do you think the training and the certifications make for coaching? Actually, I, I am a true believer that you can offer, never offer something that you didn't experience personally. Tools and skills you can really get hold of over Google. However, knowledge alone without action and experience does not become wisdom and this is the first bit of it and then when you study with certifying bodies of coaching academies you are trained the right way in the sense of understanding your role as a coach your limitations as a coach and what would be your added values as a coach and i always tell my clients if i create any dependency on me this means i have failed It will be music to my eyes when you stop calling me and stop needing my services and then coming back whenever you're facing something else. And this is, I think, what the difference is for me. Yeah, definitely. That's very insightful, actually. So what sort of change and transformations do you help people with? The core of my business, actually, again, while I was getting certified, I fell in love with the power of values. Hence, my certification in culture and leadership transformation and creating values-driven organizations. So mainly the work I do is transforming the leadership based on the collective values of the people who work within in order to transform the organization and link to the structural aspect within the process and everything else. Recently, I have been working a lot with the curve of change and the transition model because it has proven to me to be efficient to support 
people transition with this uncertainty, with the VUCA world we're living in, and allow them to tap into what I call and what is known as their growth mindset, especially when they are at the bottom of the curve, because this is where either magic happens or nothing happens. And I would like always to ensure that people connect to their magic at a personal level and at a business level, because you always have a choice no matter what the situation is. Yeah, I love that. I love what you've just said about people connecting to their magic. That's very, very powerful. And change is with us, isn't it? We've we've obviously, it goes without saying that we've experienced massive change since March. And that change will continue as we learn how to, you know, live in this COVID world at the moment. And as we hopefully work towards a solution and emerge from it. So change is constant. And I think actually building skills around change and understanding of how we as individuals respond to that change, how we react to it and what we can do to help ourselves get through it. And, you know, in a good way, in a healthy way is a really important skill to have. I think it is invaluable. I actually think it's one of the most important management and leadership skills, because if we can navigate change successfully, then we can solve all sorts of problems, achieve all sorts of things, and it builds our resilience as well. Do you, do you think the same, Christine? Absolutely. And, and actually, it was during COVID that I've realized that actually there is a difference between change and transition. And I understood that change is something that is rational. It takes place outside of us. And most of the time, we don't like it and we, don't, we cannot control it. However, transition is internal and is emotional and it's in our mind. And the good news is this is where our power lies. And then looking at it from a behavioral change aspect, because when things change around us, something in in us needs to change. Or we say when we cannot change anything around us, it's time for us to change. So change and transition when are navigated properly with the right tool, the right understanding, the right knowledge and the right perspective, it will equal behavioral change on a personal level and on a business level. It means it's how we look at our business to see if and what we need to change or pivot within our model in order to survive and become sustainable within these times. Do you think that people from different cultures in different parts of the world respond to change differently or is this a universal human thing that applies to all of us wherever we're from? I think navigating, I mean, going through the curve is very much uh, universal because we don't like what we see. We go into deny, shock at the beginning. There's a big sense of loss and then we move and not specifically in that order to denial, to anger. And then until we reach acceptance, we cannot create the new normal. This is the thing that I believe is universal. Now, when it comes to cultural aspects, the lens that I look from at that aspect would be the conceptual side of values of this society or culture and the context where it takes place. And I think this is where the nuances happen. Tell us more about the, the values and the context then and, and give us some examples of that. That sounds fascinating. Values are very specific to each one of us. They are concepts. They are things that are intangible. The 
tangible side of values is our behavior, our performance, and how we live that value physically, whether it's positive or potentially limiting. So what I'm trying to say is, if a value is the same in different cultures, within different contexts, the behavior of that value could be exhibited differently. And sometimes it differs within the same country or culture, depending on the situation that is governing the belief that comes behind the value and the behavior that exhibits itself. So we can have the same values, but it depends on where we are, the social norms almost of, of where we are. And that's not just from country to country, is it? That, that can be in different organizations in the same country having different values basically if we speak about a value within an organization innovation for let's say an industry like industrial companies is quite different than innovation in digital world again the value is innovation how you defined it and within the context and the belief of what innovation or how it's relevant to that industry produces a different type of behavior or process in the sense of companies. Yeah, it's a great example. So what do you do when you go to work then in the, you know, in the morning or whatever time you go to work? What do you do? How do you spend your day? Actually, I have been working from home since I've started my career in coaching. And that was a conscious decision that I made. It was driven by my values of connectedness and wanting to be present with my family. And the change of career came when I had my first child. So I do work from home. And most of the work I do is either at other organizations, offices, or in conference rooms. And some of it before used to be over Skype or later Zoom, but it was not the majority of it. So my typical day would be, if I have workshops, I would leave very early because I'd like to be there very early. And if I have long day meetings, otherwise I wake up every day with my kids and I take care of them. And then when they leave to school or they go to their activities, I sit down and I prepare. And then I play different roles. I like to be involved in my house as much as in my business. And when I travel, I'm away from home for a minimum of three days. Then it's all, you know, it's like I'm going to an office to do the job I have to do or the program that I'm running. So my days are not very typical. They can be very full sometimes, like today started in the morning and I'll finish with you uh, late evening here, Beirut time. And some days I quite have nothing except preparing or sending proposals or following my invoices to collect money. <laughs> <laughs> our days and our lifestyles sounds, sound very similar as well. Yeah. So interesting. So interesting. Yeah. And you talked about the change curve and you've mentioned the William Bridges model. Can you talk to us more about the William Bridges model? Because I really enjoy how you explain that. The future we have is not what we know. It's something that is an opportunity, in my opinion, that we can co-create together. Building on the power of the curve of change in multiple phases in my life that I went through big challenges and I consider them big because they quite affected my life at the time. And then they allowed me to pivot myself in a different way and learn and everything else. So I started reading more and more and I 
you know, it's funny when people ask me, what have you done so far in this field and what was your journey? For me, all these certifications, yes, and diplomas are very important. But what I've realized with time is I am empowered with a huge toolbox that I tap into whenever a need comes up in an organization or with a client and everything else. So I went digging into this tool and actually two things happened with me. I started contemplating on the curve of change and then I was requested by Mowgli Mentoring to write blog posts about change and how to navigate change. And then I was able to connect the curve of change to the hero's journey. I don't know if you know about the hero's journey. Joseph Campbell. Exactly. The hero with a thousand faces. And this journey has been introduced to me by Mowgli Mentoring, which I'm grateful for. So that was my first insight. It's how each one of us is a hero, you know, and we all face darknesses in certain times. But again, with the support of our mentors, our coaches, we are able to surmount this and come back with a lesson learned to embark on another journey. So that was the center of the blog post that I wrote. And then I was asked to develop a tool for mentoring in crisis. And this is when I really combined the, and I I had the intention to use the curve of change. And then I realized that it's gonna be too complicated. And I started looking into change models and things like that. And I came across the Bridges transition model. And, you know, I started reading about it and it resonated so much with me that the transition phase is actually at the lowest point of the curve of change. And this is where you either make it and pick yourself up and move, whether you're a person or an industry, or you can wait for things to happen outside you and play the victim again. And this is how I started looking at it. Now, uh, again, we said transition is internal. So the approach of the William Bridges is more on the emotional side of things. And it's divided, the transition phase is divided into three parts, the endings, the neutral zone, and the new beginnings. You cannot start anything new or start looking at anything in a different perspective if you don't deal with your endings. And endings are painful because there's a sense of loss. Even if you're moving on to something really exciting, there's a sense that you're leaving something else behind, you know? Is that that the sense of it? Exactly. It's like losing weight. Yeah. There's nothing better than losing weight, but you're losing something. And this is why in coaching, we try to turn it into a positive goal, becoming more healthy. So the sense of loss is really strong at that time. And you feel like you have no choice. And you automatically are again on the curve of change, your shock, anger, denial, and everything else. And until you realize that or understand what you need to let go of that is not serving you anymore and bring in forward what you need now, your strength, your learning, you really cannot move into the neutral zone in the sense of looking at things from a neutral place. And it's not, a good place to be because neutral zone is based on the bridges model is governed by confusion disorientation frustration and apathy somehow it's like you feel like you've reached the end of the tunnel and there's no light but this is where the power of choice and this is where the growth mindset comes in it's when you are able to connect 
to who you truly are as a person in the sense of what are your values, what is your vision and what is working for you now or what could be opportunities for you now. And from a business perspective, it's a good time to revisit your values, see which values will support you move on forward, which limiting values are pushing you back and what are new desired values that you can bring on the table. You can look at your vision and mission, revisit your strategy internally and externally, look at the market, the need of your clients now, what are people's needs? Because any business, if it doesn't serve a need at the end of the day, would not be sustainable. So it is the place where you need to be creative and you need to be able to think outside the box. And this is when you really start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, no matter how dim, the important is you see something different. And I always tell my clients, even when you are in this phase, if the decision is to close the business completely, this is a good thing. Otherwise, you are struggling. But there are many ways and many things we can do not to really reach that point. But it requires a high level of awareness. It also requires a high level of leadership skills in times of crisis. Things like proper communication skills, creativity, adaptability, agility, resilience, so on and so forth, like you were saying. And then when you start asking yourself based on all the findings and the, I would say the internal and the external research you've done, you need to start looking at what do you need to do differently, revisit maybe your how and what, not necessarily your why, but it will give you an idea of how to move forward. And people at an emotional level start picking themselves up and there will be a sense of purpose that is stronger and there will be some excitement to create the new beginning. So the energy, the openness to learning and the commitment. And again, we need to know that in order to navigate all of this, we all need to unlearn what we know and learn something new. And this is not comfortable on an emotional level. It is something that says, oh my God, I've worked all my life this way. Now I'm going to change. So resistance starts kicking in. If we're stuck ourselves, or even if we know someone who's stuck, how can we best move forward individually is my first question, I guess, on that. And secondly, how can we help somebody else move forward? Because I imagine there are a lot of people at the moment feeling, you know, that it's changing. It's all very challenging in some areas, also lots of opportunity as well and that brings change so what do you recommend about what I call unsticking being stuck okay so basically it's like what you say on the plane you have to put your oxygen mask first you cannot help anyone move anywhere and this is very critical for leadership now without that personal work to be done and again having a high level of emotional intelligence would allow them to have a high level of social intelligence in the sense of dealing with everything they're going through and realizing and truly believing that there is a choice and there is another way is key for anyone to support others. So the work that I do or I would ask people to do is to really go internally themselves and see where they are on the curve of change. Because anyway, we're always oscillating. 
okay? We're not always in one place. But the fact that we know where we are, half of the problem is solved. And then it's about putting action plans of how to move forward. This is on a personal level. Now, to bring people along with you, because it's really necessary for organizations, and it's also challenging at the same time to be able to bring everybody at the same time to all these zones simultaneously, is to really have a lot of communication, is to have a sense of direction that is clear, is to have a sense of alignment with the people, with the vision, with the values and everything else, and also inspire commitment. And people always are inspired by, you know, uh, positivity. And then again, I'm gonna talk about positivity, not in the sense of any grounded positivity and vulnerability sometimes are key for people to be truly inspired and committed to go through the journey alongside each others. So that's interesting. So talk, talk more, if you would, about vulnerability and how that inspires. People confuse vulnerability with weakness, and this is a false belief, in my opinion. Vulnerability is the other side of courage, is the foundation of courage, is being courageous enough as a leader to say, you know what, guys, I don't know. You know better than me. Let's work together on this. It's engaging the people at the human level, at the soul level, rather than at the hierarchical level. So this is what inspiration to me is. And the other side of vulnerability is allowing yourself as a leader to be in service to others in the sense of, you know better than me, how can I support you in that? Let's sit together and think all together to see how we're going to move. Let's revisit things together. Let's look at our strategy. Let's look at the need of the market. It's engaging people at a level that they feel uh, they're autonomous and they feel they are contributing to the success of the company. And this is what I think vulnerability allows. Yeah, I think so many people confuse vulnerability and also the word authenticity there's a lot of work out there on authentic leadership. And I think people confuse that with, you know, just saying what you think in the moment and not uh, displaying all your emotions and, you know, those sorts of things. That's not what vulnerability and authenticity are about. It's about doing it in a really positive and considered way, isn't it? And thinking about the impact that we're making. Going back to being very self-aware and having a high level of behavioral control. This is key. So self-awareness and behavioral control are key skills for leadership in crisis. And you're a great facilitator. And I know you've been doing in-room facilitation. Tell me about your virtual facilitation and how you've been working with people on these really deep and challenging themes and doing so successfully online. As we spoke, because uh, I really want to mention that I've reached out for you, for your support on the online facilitation techniques, because I was struggling with it, especially that I am not so techy as a a person. At the beginning, it was daunting because you are distracted by a lot of technology around you and you are worried 
about the people who you can see on the screen or you cannot see is the message going through some people might go on no camera so you're wondering it's hard it's hard there's a lot to it's, think there's a lot of buttons to press things to think about and you know your eyes are sort of everywhere looking at things on screen as well as trying to focus on people as well so i think i think virtual facilitation takes practice and some learning but it it does get better with practice doesn't it it does get better with practice and it's also something that you reminded me of on the call is to trust the process to be a good facilitator you need to trust the process if you know your material enough and you engage people at many levels you're doing a great job so you need to trust the process and it felt at the beginning a bit weird because we are human beings and not human doings so we are missing the, the, the human being interaction yeah. you become to a certain extent at the beginning you feel like you're a human doing you're you're just ticking the boxes but that's the cycle of learning we were not unconsciously incompetent but we became consciously incompetent and it's not a good place to be again you have to unlearn what you know and learn something else and then it takes practice and practice to really navigate it like driving a bicycle or a car <laughs> yeah i just i i was actually just thinking that as you were saying you know where well, i can remember my first driving lesson and i had to really concentrate where i was steering and to put you know change gear and all of that and now it's something you get in the car and we we do it intuitive you know we look where we're going and we're very mindful of what we're doing but we're doing a lot of things without really having to overthink it uh, yeah it's just it's so so interesting it does come with practice so mm. how do you get these complex themes across and how have you, have you been working to engage with people tell us some of the the things that you've been doing that we can learn from i would try not to keep the presentation a lot up i would try to engage them in many different questions and activities and breakout rooms uh, I always check for understanding and resonation. I share stories and I ask them to share their own in order to keep them engaged. And I've realized that long uh, periods of time online are not useful. So I've learned how to make my facilitation concise, uh, probably giving them some work prior to the online uh, session. And then if there are cer certain breakout sessions that require more work, I would put them in groups and I will ask them to work in the afternoon and then come and present the second day. So you're, you're getting them doing things, being busy, engaged. And I think that's so important, isn't it? I've seen you, what you do and it's, it's really, really great. And I want to thank you here because there are some tips that I've used because of your mentoring. <laughs> oh, that you're very welcome. I'm just, I'm delighted that they helped. And, you know, your material is great. I'm so, so relevant and so compelling now, but I think it's universally relevant and compelling because change is one constant, isn't it? Are you back in training rooms, meeting rooms, doing person-to-person -person workshops? How is the situation with lockdown okay. in Beirut at the moment. Today I had, I've started a leadership culture transformation and structural transformation program for a company here in Lebanon that work in e-commerce. And uh, the country had opened and unfortunately the number of cases are rising and tomorrow we're going back into a lockdown for five days and then two days will open and then we lock down again. Today was my first face-to-face -face session since a long time 
and it speaks to my soul because you can really see the expressions of the people. You feel the human presence. I'm not sure if we're going to continue the program fully face-to-face because this was the plan. So now we are doing plan B where deciding which parts of the program, mainly workshops that need to be run face-to-face and it's going to be done when lockdown is removed with proper social distancing because today we were all wearing masks in the room. How was it facilitating when people are wearing their masks and you're wearing yours? I'm afraid to say that it's becoming the new normal. I mean, we've been doing it for some time, you know, going to the supermarket, doing our errand. It didn't bother me as much as it would have, I would say, two months ago. Yeah, it's, we're surprisingly adaptable, aren't we, as humans? In the UK, where I'm recording the podcast, I think it was the 24th of July, something like that, which was the first time that we had to wear masks going to the shops and so on. Before, we didn't have to wear them. So it's a fairly new thing for us. But it's Mm -hmm. interesting to say that you're, you know, you just get used to it and it becomes sort of business as usual, doesn't it? You know, I know you you said it's five days and then a break and then some some more time. I hope it doesn't last too long and that you all stay safe and well where you are. Thank you. Uh, One thing I'd like to ask you is what are your insights and lessons learned from the last three to four months? You know, as we as we sort of progress and hopefully emerge from all of this, what do you think you've learned the most out of the COVID situation? I've learned to enjoy my own company more, although I miss social interactions. This is one thing. The other thing that I've learned that is how to become comfortable with the unknown and uncertainty. And no matter how ready we think we are, when push comes to shove, we realize that We're not that ready. I've learned how to reconnect with my values and my passion. So it taught me to be more grateful because I consider myself someone who is really grateful. And I've learned that anything I want to change, something in me has to change because I have been, and I think everybody has been introduced to so many newbies, children at home, homeschooling, working from home, being locked closely with the family, wearing a mask, cleaning your hands a million times a day. They are all new things. But again, looking at what choices do I have and what is under my control and what is not, this has given me the energy and the focus and the direction to work on what I have control over and let be everything else that I don't have. For the first time in our history, I would say, we, if we haven't learned anything, we should have learned that we are all the same and we are all affected in the same way. And I think this, and I hope this will be something that brings humanity together in a strong way. I hope so too, they're very wise words. and. In many different ways, it's helped us to connect. So we've become friends as well, which is great. Mm-hmm. And I think with those wise words, but what a way to end the podcast. So thank you very much. And I'm sure people will want to get in touch with you and find out more about you, Christine. So where can they find you? How can they contact you? 
Okay, so I am on LinkedIn, of course. I'm on Insta and I'm also on Facebook. And my email, I would like to share my email, is Christine, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, at VVT Coaching, V-I-V-I-T-I Coaching.com. This is how they can reach me. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, I'll put the link to the blog. I'll put all your contact details into the show notes. So if you're listening and if you'd like to find out more about Christine and get in touch, if you've enjoyed the podcast, let her know and let me know too. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your thoughts and we'd love to hear your experiences too and understand how some of the things we've talked about today might resonate with you and what your experiences have been. Christine, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time this evening to speak. And thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Idea Time podcast, brought to you by Dr. Joe North. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to our channel. For even more strategies and advice, visit our website, ideatime.co.uk. Enter your email for leading insights, resources, and more every month completely free. We'll see you next time.